Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I am James Barty in Washington. Today is Tuesday, November 29, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Somali security forces and hotel siege by Al-Shabaab militants. In a press conference in Mogadishu on Monday evening, Somali Federal Police spokesman Sadiq Adhan Ali Dodishe said, Security forces have ended the Villa Reis Hotel siege in the capital. A former Malawi president calls the arrest last week of his stepson for human trafficking and murder a political witch hunt. Sudan's professional association is concerned about the military's unilateral decision to freeze union activities. A look at Rwandan characters and traditions used to improve child literacy. Namibia's ruling party may be on the road to having a female presidential candidate. There has never been a moment like this uh, in uh, Swapo and probably Namibian history that a woman has ascended to a position as she has just done. And a superb Africa performance at the Qatar FIFA World Cup yesterday as Senegal takes the field today, Tuesday. Those stories and more are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Somali police announced that the country's security forces ended a more than 20-hour-long Al-Shabaab siege on a popular hotel in the capital, Mogadishu. Police say they killed five militants while eight civilians were killed during the attack. Mohamed Ayersana reports from Mogadishu. In a press conference in Mogadishu on Monday evening, Somali Federal Police spokesman Sadiq Adhan Ali Dodishe said security forces have ended. The Villa Reis Hotel siege in the capital, the hotel that is located near the country's heavily fortified presidential palace, was attacked by Al-Shabaab fighters who initiated the assault with a suicide bombing. The police spokesman said security forces killed five of the six attackers, while one of them blew himself up. He says... The Khawarij killed eight civilians who were at the hotel, and the security forces have rescued 60 civilians, and there were no injuries among the civilians. Khawarij, or a deviant sect, is a term the government uses to refer to Al-Shabaab. The police spokesman added that during the operation inside the hotel, one soldier was killed and five others wounded. The Villa Reis Hotel was frequented by Somali government senior officials, including ministers, lawmakers, and other security officials. Experts who spoke to VOA over the phone said they believe the attack can be seen as retaliation by the group after it lost significant ground in the Somali government's recent offensives against the Islamist militants in the country's central provinces. It is the second deadly siege in Somali capital in less than three months. In late August, the militant group had stormed the busy Hayat Hotel. Security forces ended that siege after nearly 30 hours of operations. The attack killed more than 20 people. The group intensified its attacks since Somalia's President Hassan Sheikh Mahmoud was elected in May this year. The president announced a total war against the militants. Mohammed Daisane for VON News, Mogadishu. 
Former Malawi President Arthur Peter Mutarika says the arrest last week of his stepson is a political witch hunt intended to silence the public outcry over what he calls the economic crisis and undemocratic ruling style of President Lastro Chakwera. Malawi authorities last Wednesday arrested Tadi Kira Mafopsa and charged him with murder and human trafficking relating to the death of 30 Ethiopian migrants. Former President Mutarika tells me that although his stepson owns the truck that allegedly transported the migrants, he had no knowledge about the vehicle's activities since it was being rented by the driver. What happens is that um, he has a truck, um, I think a 10-ton truck, an enclosed one that he bought when he was a student in the United Kingdom last year. So he brought it here and he was trying to do some kind of business, but he himself is busy working, so he hired this driver and enter into a contract whereby he was supposed to run the vehicle and uh, produce a certain amount of money a month or a week or something like that. So it was like an independent contractor, really. They said, okay, you run this, you do whatever business to pick up people, transport and so forth, as long as you bring in so much. So he was actually an independent contractor. This has been happening since uh, Anderson August, and uh, apparently in October, he decided to transport these people from one part of the country to another in closed truck. And in the process, some people suffocated and then they were buried in some kind of shallow grave. And so they've been investigating and they arrested him. And he has made it very, very clear that my stepson had nothing to do with it. He did not know about uh, these activities because he was operating as an independent contractor. So on the basis of that, the sole decided to, to arrest him and then charge him with um, human trafficking. And it was, it was about to appear on bail today when the, uh, the director of public prosecutions, with the political head of prosecutions, decided to change the charge now from trafficking to homicide. And as I said, it's, it's purely political. That's what I wanted to ask you, Mr. President, to make the connection, because if you say it's political witch hunt, and uh, there are people who are uh, people who are dead in this truck, and the yeah. truck belongs to him. Right. Then how is that? How right. is it a political witch hunt? It's a witch hunt because he was not operating the truck. Uh, he simply owned the truck, which he subletted to the driver, who was actually operating as an independent contractor, and he had absolutely no knowledge what uh, the driver was doing, other than the agreement that uh, each month he would bring in so much money from whatever business he gets and then we'll keep the rest it's very common it's like having a taxi or, or a minibus and you, you get somebody else to run it a taxi and then you you get a, a certain amount of money every week or every month it happens everywhere and that's what happened and he had absolutely no control whatsoever mr president it, it seems there's too much agitation going on in malawi these days on the one hand yes. the government believes that uh, much of it is being encouraged by the opposition. What's your comment? Well, I, I think my, the agitation is being guided by the government's failure to run the country. Because the government has completely failed. Um, there's absolutely no question about it. Uh, it's a total, total disaster. And people are outraged. Everywhere the president goes, people boo him. So nowadays, he's not even traveling around the country, he's afraid. Because wherever he goes, people boo him and throw all sorts of insults. And people are very, very angry because of the manner in which this country has not been destroyed by this government. 
saw the agitation, opposition and other civil society were simply saying, and I've said many, many times, that they failed to run this country. Uh, they have failed completely that they must go. They must resign and let's have a government or national unity to plan for elections. And this is a consensus, I think, in this country among you know, most opposition groups, including civil society, faith community and others. Mr. President, it's a pleasure to speak with you always. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, and God bless you. That was former Malawi President Arthur Peter Mutarika speaking with us from the capital. Netumbo Nande Ndetwa, Namibia's Deputy Prime Minister and Minister for International Cooperation, has been declared winner of the ruling party's vice presidency. She retained the position at an elective congress held over the weekend, where she garnered 421 votes to defeat her challengers, who came in second and third, with 270 and 91 votes respectively. Experts say Nandi Mdetwa's victory paved the way for her to be the presidential candidate of the governing Southwest Africa People's Organization, or SWAPO, in the next general election in 2024. Phil Yanangulo is a political analyst and the head of the Namibia National Society of Human Rights. He tells viewers Peter Clotty that the election of a female candidate is a seismic transformation in the 62-year history of the ruling party. There is indeed euphoria. It's a historic day. There has never been a moment uh, like this uh, in uh, Swapo and probably Namibian history that a woman has ascended to a position uh, as she has just done. What does this election mean to women in Namibia? It is clearly an encouragement uh, to women uh, that uh, they are just equal as men are, and they have uh, not to shy away to participate in political processes and uh, to be elected to even highest position of power. So it is indeed an encouragement uh, and also euphoric day for our women. It's a victory for Namibia as a whole. But how are Namibians reacting to this victory? Well, people are as well welcoming a, a victory. You know that um, Swapo was severely discredited starting from an, around November 13, 2019, when that uh, uh, corruption scandal called Fish Rod locally was revealed. And uh, then Swapo has been facing accusations of corruption all the way uh, until recently when the election, then the campaign, the primary election within Swapo started. Comrade Netumbo Nandi Daitra emerged as a person who does not engage in corruption. She has a very clean record. So she came out... Uh, as a very clean leader, and the people of Namibia are generally set against, they are against corruption. So you can see how uh, a welcome development is and will be for Namibia as a whole. Where does Swapo go from here after choosing its first female leader, so to speak? I think Swapo will never be the same again from now on. You know that uh, in Swapo we say uh, there is an old God 
the old gods are leaders who went into exile in the early 60s. And then there is the, the 74 generation, so to say, the people who went into exile in 1974 after the fall of Portuguese regime in Angola. So these people were actually the one who uh, liberated Namibia. And they were kind of being neglected by the old guard. They were relegated to not so significant position of power. Now it is a history that a person from a group of 1974, as I said, has been elected to take over SWAPO. Phil Yanangolo is a political analyst and head of the Namibia National Society for Human Rights. You are speaking with viewers Peter Clotty. A spokesperson for the Sudanese Professional Association, the body that led Sudan's 2019 revolution, says the criteria for establishing labor unions should be based on international standards, including freedom of association and the right to organize. This, after Sudan's military leader, General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, on Monday froze the activities of trade unions, including taking control of their finances and the leadership. According to Reuters, General Al-Buran announced in a decree that he will set up a committee to review and take over the finances of the union in and outside Sudan. Sudanese Professional Association spokesperson Salma Nour tells me that while previous trade union leaders are facing corruption charges, the military's decision to unilaterally freeze union activities may be unpredictable. We as trade union activists, we are worried about the military decisions because as you know, Sudan and the 25th of October coup till now, and this may lead the situation to be more complicated rather than previous. We in Sudanese professionals associations believe that the criteria of establishing the labor union should be as per the international criteria and the General Assembly's decisions as per the International Labor Organization Convention 87, freedom of associations and protection of the right to organize, which approved by the uh, transitional government during the transitional period. The story makes reference to the fact that this announcement could be intended for the Islamists in order for them not to come back into government. As a civil society, do you fear that uh, the military could also use this against you? In another way, the leaders of the previous union who are belong to the Islamic movement, they are facing uh, corruption crimes and legitimacy problems because the General Assemblies refused them. The decision of the military stopped them return back to the unions. But still now, the next step of the military cannot be predictable because as I told you before, uh, this decision uh, will complicate the situation more and more because we didn't know who will form the new steering committee. Where are we, Salma, in the negotiations uh, for a transition to democratic rule? What is the latest on that? The message of military is very clear regarding the return back of the previous regime, but also it's not very clear regarding the revolutionary bodies who refused the previous regime and previous union leaders through the general assemblies. 
we in Sudanese professionals associations together from different disciplines uh, working to prepare the general assemblies to be ready for elections and select new leadership and proscape the uh, perpetrators of corruption crimes legally. We all in Sudan working together to rebuild our institutions, that is to say the trade union according to the international criteria because that will help us a lot to rebuild our country and rebuild new political system as per the democratic state standards uh, to protect the basic human rights and labor rights indeed. Salman Noor is the spokesperson for the Sudanese Professional Association, the body that led Sudan's 2019 revolution. She was speaking with us from the Sudanese capital, Khartoum. The United Nations says only 35% of students in Africa attain minimal competency in reading and just 22% are proficient in mathematics by the end of primary school. In Rwanda, a group is creating comic books, games, and animation based on Rwandan characters and traditions to help improve child literacy. Senanu Tor reports from Nyamirambo, Rwanda. 13-year-old Serafin Iradukunda is one of many students in Namirambo, Rwanda, who gather at a non-profit called One Help, One Direction Ihumure to practice reading and spelling. In Kinyarwanda, Ihumure means to give hope. His reading has improved over the last few months and he is now able to read to others. The non-profit says students do not have suitable reading materials at home or in school, driving some who fall behind in class to the streets. August Shumbusho is the president of the non-profit, and he says students are becoming interested in reading again, thanks to a new material featuring Rwandan superheroes, culture and traditions in comic books, animations, and games. The stories were written. They add more drawings, because if you give a kid a book that it's there's no image or <laughs> drawing inside, they cannot read that. So they're just trying to do cartoon just through books, and I think uh, they have started also doing video cartoon. Academic researchers worldwide continue to study the use of comics and animation as effective educational tools. Several studies suggest that comic books help students with reading comprehension and foster interest in voluntary reading. Kredia Umuhire Ruzigana is the CEO of Imanzi Creations, the creative studio producing the new material for the students. She says she grew up learning from comics and animes. I think the comics and animes are really important because that's the environment we grew up into, even though the content was different, but that helped us to learn languages, that helped us to learn animals. I don't know, it helped us a lot. Umuhiro Ruzigana explains that a major challenge with the educational comic and anime market in Rwanda is the lack of relatable and traditional African stories. To help, she and her team have recreated animations from Rwandan folklore that students can easily identify with. Now, if we can bring that into something that a kid or a child nowadays can relate to, like familiar with, like the environment he grows up into, rather than a far-fetched one, even though it's far-fetched, but have something that has the sort of reality to it, it kind of helps them into shaping them to be uh, people, I don't know, it kind of helps them a lot actually in um, identity. 
The Rwandan Education Board, REB, is pushing for local content in education through policy and curriculums. But advocates say supply chain problems are hampering social minorities' access to materials. Educational consultant Supreme Bunani says digitalizing stories can help more students get the kind of material they need. If you put voice over, so the voice, so it means that uh, the voice actor will be able to read for a person who can't see sign language, even who can't see the book. Imanzi Creation says it will be adding animations on interactive phone applications that can also help children improve their pronunciations. Sana Anutot for VOA News, Nyamirambo, Rwanda. Africa champion Senegal will play its next decisive match at the Qatar FIFA World Cup today, Tuesday. A win will guarantee the Lions of Taranga a spot in the round of 16. Cameroon and Ghana entertained the world with their performances yesterday, Monday. The indomitable Lions of Cameroon came from 3-1 down to draw 3-3 with Serbia, while the Black Stars of Ghana beat South Korea 3-2. Viewers Jackson Vunganyi joins us now from the Ghanaian capital, Accra. James, it was a great day of joy here in Accra, Ghana. Lots of celebrations. I have never been part of this kind of energy before. So much tension and jubilations at the same time as the Ghanaians watch their team putting on a great performance against a, a formidable opponent in South Korea. You know, jubilations everywhere, the sounds of drums, live music cars honking on the streets. Ghanaians are really happy that their boys were able to pull off this win. Remember, James, the Black Stars needed this for them to keep their hopes alive in this tournament, and they needed to beat South Korea for them to advance past the group stages. And thanks to their youngster, Mohamed Kudus, they did it and did it decisively. Do you think, Jackson, that the coach made some changes because he was criticized after that first game? Absolutely, James. I think one of the main reasons why they were able to pull off this win is that they made some tactical changes. And this is a credit to Coach Otto Addo. Uh, he changed his game by pushing more of the offensive, bringing in different guys from his roster, expansive roster of mainly young guys to bolster his defensive formation, what they call in soccer parlance as the 4-3-3 system where there are more attacks. And guess what? The South Koreans felt the attacks, James. So, James, during the game, I was watching the game outside of the Ghana Broadcasting Center where they had, like, hundreds of people, part of, you know, fans from around the country, uh, including some female teams uh, that play in the local leagues here, some fan groups. And I spoke to some of them about what they thought was the difference maker in this game today. This is what they said. Ghanaians were very determined to win this game. They went all out. Their pressing was superb. And they, they weren't giving the, the Korean team to possess the ball too much. Even though they were having their chances, but they were blocking most of their chances. So I think Ghana went all out. They gave all their best today. Nail biting. Yeah. I mean, to have considered within one and a five minutes again, yeah. just as we did against Portugal. So, you know, it was. It was a bit difficult, but you know, we're glad that the Blacks... There was a lot of tension, right? Absolutely. I can feel the tension. Absolutely. But also the vibe was amazing Amazing, especially after the third goal, you know, and then the... When people are now confident that we got this in the bag. See, so, you know, we've got Uruguay next, and 
The other exciting match was that of Cameroon. Yes, oh my goodness. James, we know at some point, we know when we're watching Cameroon, people lost hope. But you know, there's a reason why these guys are called the indomitable lions, okay? Do not count them out until the final whistle and they showed why. Let's look ahead, Jackson. Let's look ahead to today, Tuesday. Senegal, the Lions of Taringa are taking the fields against Ecuador. What can you tell us? James, both of these teams are really strong and they're, they're coming in with a lot of pressure because remember, these are some of the most decisive games in their group stages. They need these wins. But the Lions of Teranga have shown that they have what it takes to beat even some of the best teams. So I would not really count them out. And, you know, again, Ecuador comes again with the hunger and the anger at the same time. They want to win, but I think I will give this one to the Lions of Teranga. Thank you very much, Jackson. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, James. And that's it for this Tuesday, November 29th edition of Daybreak Africa. I'm James Barton.